0: in the book of psalm and it's psalm 90 psalm 90 how wonderful is it to be in church on the first sunday of a new year you've come to the right place turn to the person next to you and say you're right you're in the right place amen <coughs> It is the best way to start a new year. I, uh, I can see how many people start the new year in different places. And that sort of set the year for them. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, we're going to need the Lord more this year. Amen? We need to hold on to Him because He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And it's so wonderful. I was contemplating and meditating upon this uh, message today. It's not only the last week, but maybe for the last month or so. And uh, I asked the Lord, you know, what can we think about? What can we meditate and contemplate as we go into the new year? What can we start with? No better thing to start with than with Jesus. And as we read in Psalm 90 verse 10, I want you to listen to the words. And I want you to open up your heart this morning. I want you to contemplate and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the Word. He says there, the days of your lives are 70 years. 70 years. Have you quickly worked out how old you are now and how far 70 years is away from you? 70 years are good years. He says 70 years and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Now, I know a few people who've made it into the 90s. Uh, There might be people in here who are already past 80. And that is by reason of strength, not from you, not from anybody else, but from Him. Because let me tell you this morning that your very next heartbeat is dependable on, on Him, on Jesus, on God. Because He knows your life already when you were born. He's outside of time. We are inside time. He can see your beginning and the end in one, in one view. And this is so beautiful. He says, 70 years and by reason of strength they are 80 years and some are in the 90s and there are people who went into their hundreds. Yet their boast, and I like this part now when he says this, he says, yet their boast, the things that they're boasting so much about is only, everybody say only, It's only labor and sorrow. Think about the boastings that people do around these days. It's all about themselves, isn't it? It's all about their labors. The things that I've done with my hands and with my brain to put me in a position that I am today. And people are boasting about that. But there's also people who are boasting in their sorrows. There are people, believe it or not, who like to be sorrowful. I remember vividly once in New Zealand we were dealing with a lady and uh, we presented to her, I presented to her Christ and the freedom in Christ and the breaking of the shackles, the shackles that keep them away from that freedom. And and for a moment there I thought she was going to grab on to this freedom in Christ but then she went back into the sorrowness because it becomes a crutch for them it becomes a place where you feel comfortable and people talk more about your sorrow. People are boasting, the psalmist say. <coughs> Moses says here, because Moses writes this, he says, they are boasting in labor and in sorrow. What do you want to boast in? And what do I need to boast in today? In Him. In Him is your boasting. He says, there is, uh, they are boasting only in labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we, we fly away. We fly away. Now, if you are a born-again child of God, I've already asked you, where is Jesus situated? Where is He situated? At the right hand of God. Where are you going to be? You're going to be with Him. That's the promise, isn't it? How are you going to get there? Not on Qantas, not on Jetstar. No, no, you are going to get there. You're going to fly away. You're going you're to be with Him. Let, let me just say to you that the moment you die today and you close these eyes and life goes out of it, the next visual thing you will have is you will look into the eyes of the Son of God. And they are not blue eyes. They are not brown eyes. Yeah. <laughs> they are not green eyes. If you want to see what kind of color the eyes is going to read in the book of Revelation chapter 1. They are fiery eyes. Why fiery eyes? Because there is judgment in fire. The Bible says that man will die and after death will come what? Judgment. Whether you are a child of God or not, there is judgment coming your way. Believe it or uh, not. Listen to me. It is so real, more real than I'm standing in front of you. If you can work that one out. But you will fly away and you will stand in front of Him. And there's no hiding from that. There is nothing you can tell Him out of a lie. You can can put on a mask. You can do whatever you can do. But those eyes will look straight through you. Through you. And if you are not a child of God, I haven't got good news for you this morning. But I'm going to say it as it is. There is the pit of hell. You see, if you preach that in churches, they go but we will say, there's the pit of hell. And then you will sit and wait in that place until the lake of fire is opened. And who's going to be the first attendee to the lake of fire? Lucifer himself. And that wasn't made for man. The saddest thing about the word of God is that the the lake of fire, the hell is not made for man. It was never made for man but man through his depravity is going to go to a place where he doesn't want to be. Wow, what a good start to the new year, isn't it? But here we go, he says 70 and then he goes on to 80 years and yet they boast, this in all of the labors they do. Just listen to people when you talk to them what they're boasting in what they're boasting in, all these things that I have, all the things that I've done, all of these efforts that I've put in, and you look at it back and you show everybody all of these things, let me just say to you this morning, all of those things is gonna burn. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be used by others who didn't pay as much for it as you did before it burns, but it's going to burn. And then it's soon cut off. But I want to continue on to verse 11 because it's so beautiful when it says there, Who knows the power of your anger? Do you really know the power of the anger of God? I want to suggest to you, no, you don't. We can't contemplate with our little brains and minds the absolute anger and the power of God. You can't. We just can't. But he says here now, Who knows? Who knows the power of your anger? For as... The fear of you, so is your wrath. And let me just say, uh, by just quickly saying this, that when we read in the book of Revelation, after the church has been taken out, that the wrath of God, the wrath of God is coming onto this earth. And listen to me, friend, brother, sister, for people listening online, you don't want to be on this earth when the wrath of God is coming here. I'm not talking persecution. Don't get the two mixed up. Persecution today, persecution where the people are killed for, for having faith in Christ, to become a martyr for Christ, is not the wrath of God. There is a difference here. We haven't seen, this world haven't seen, oh well in fact, we've seen cases of that. When you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you see some of the power of God, but not all the power of God. What did the power of God do to that sinful place, that sodomite place? The power of God came down, the wrath of God came down, and He destroyed it. We saw some of that with the flood, didn't we? But that wasn't the full power of God. Wait, wait until He comes when the wrath of God is going to come upon this place. You don't want to be here. Food stamps is not going to help you, and cheap petrol is not going to take you there. But I can tell you this morning that He says, he says, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. And now I come to the verse which I actually wanted to preach about. He says it then in verse 12. So teach us, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, too many people today live as though this life is all they have. I was sitting in front of a man last year, and I said to him, all you have is what you can see. That's all you have. And for some people, that's their lives. All they have is only the things they see. It's only the relationships that they have made. It's only the the possessions that they have gathered. That's all you have. But what if that's taken away? What if you get all of a sudden a sickness and you can just lie in a bed and all those relationships is gone? What if all of your possessions is gone? But this is how people live. They don't live to number their days. Their plans and their schemes is for this life only. And I'm not only talking to young people here. I'm talking to people my age. I'm talking to people older than me. 70 years and 80 years, Moses said, isn't it? So there is still days to number. There's still days to number there. And it is so wonderful when we see that Moses asked this, he was already advanced in age when he wrote this down. So I've worked it out for us. I thought I would going to do that. 70 years equals to twenty-five thousand five hundred and fifty days. If you grow to be 50, you know, 20, 70 years old. And taking my age... If you take my age, I only if I'm gonna live to seventy years, I've only got five thousand one hundred and ten. Well that was yesterday, I think five thousand one hundred and nine days left. It's sobering if you think about this, isn't it? Sobering. And if you if you turn 80 years, that's twenty nine thousand two hundred days. And if you take my age, which is fifty six by the way, if you take my age of so fifty six years old. And if, I, if I'm strong and if the Lord helps me with my health and I look after myself, I may get to 80 years, which leaves me with 8,759 days left. And I think some of you are quickly working it out. I haven't got a lot of days left, do I? I haven't got a lot of days left. But still, the Word of God comes to you this morning. It comes to me. But still, I mean, some people may have only 50 days left. We don't know. How do you know that? Some may have five days left. You know, it is so uncomfortable for some if I talk about this, and I thought about it last night, and I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, if people get uncomfortable about what I'm saying now, good so. I'm not going to ask excuses for that, but you may only have one day left. How's that going to change your life? What are the things you're going to stop doing immediately, and how are your prayer life going to change immediately? You see, some people get onto an airplane, and as it takes off, they pray a quick prayer. Oh Lord, please protect me on this flight. Please, Lord, please, Lord, forgive me all of my sins, Lord. Because they've heard the sermon somewhere. Somebody said you're going to look into those fiery eyes and they go. Phew, because once you're on that airplane, it's out of your control, isn't it? It's out of your control. The next, you know, you may not have a little day. You may have, you know, two hours, depending on how long you fly. I'm so sorry, brother, that you and your beautiful wife are flying to India. We will be praying for you. He just came to me. I don't know where I went there, brother. (laughs) Praise the Lord, my brother. Now I can continue. But as you're sitting there, I mean, some people all of a sudden become, you know, Lord, please forgive me my sins, that thing, you know, the dog I kicked him just yesterday, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. And that is not how it works. This is why I come to you this morning. And at the beginning of this year, I want to remind you what Moses said. Teach us. You see, it's something that you need to be taught to count our days. There may not be a lot of days left, but please count every single day thereof. You see, the big thing here is, the main idea is, is not how many days you've still got left, it is how you make them count that matters. If I have five days left, I want to make them count. I want to make them count. If I have one, big, and this is what you don't know, this is, this is the beautiful thing about it. This is why you can't sit back and say, oh, wait a minute, in three months from now or in a year from now, I'm going to make my days count. Then I will do that. Or maybe if I hear the bad news when the doctor comes to me and says, it is fatal, you've only got six months to live, then I'm going to make it count. The fact of the matter is, brother and sister, you don't know. And this is why, this is why I love this verse. He says, teach us. And this is part of the first kickoff of that teaching to you is to understand that every single day of your life, starting from right now, you need to start counting it. You need to start making it count. Now is the time. Not tomorrow. There's two words the Greek use. It's come up to me. One is Kairos. Kairos is a divine time. The Bible says now is the time. If you are sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ, you've just been coming to church because it's a nice place to hang out and they give nice food, and you haven't come to the cross and you haven't repented of your sin, Kairos, now is the time to make right. Then there's another word, Kronos. That means it is, it is your life. these uh, times that happen after each other. But, you know, we need to make our days count. And this is the theme. It took me a while to get there, but I'm there. Embracing the present. We need to embrace the present. And this is one lesson that I'm, I'm still learning. I, I'm not standing here and saying to you that, hey, look at me. I'm by far not saying it. I constantly need the Holy Spirit to remind me to be in the present time i'm going to do an exercise this morning i want you all to repeat with me and if you are shy you can say it with a soft voice if you're not shy shy say it loud so that those with the soft voice can get a lot of encouragement yes i want you to read this with me okay together the whole church out loud i am here i can hear i am listening i can see and i am present How did that make you feel? You see, there's some people who's already at the beach. I had to bring you back. I had to bring you back. And some people is already on that, I don't know where, at lunch. Let's do it one more time. I am here. I can hear. I am listening. I can see. And I am present. If you want to record that, every single situation you go in, repeat it before you go in there. I'm not a psychologist, but I'll let you one thing know. A lot of people go into conversations and you can see when you talk to them, they are not listening to you. They are hearing you. I see all the wives in the church goes like this. (laughs) They are hearing you, but they are not listening to you. And if you are not listening to somebody, then you are not present. You are not present. And you are missing some valuable things if you are not present. You are missing. You see, we all got cameras. And what we do, I find it so interesting. And I'm at that age now when I went through that stage where cameras was really expensive and you couldn't have a camera. And you see something happen and you know what? You can look at everything because you were present. What a beautiful memory. You can still recall things. It's not on a film. It's not on a photo. But these days people are taking photos and they are so concentrated to get the best shot that they are missing the experience. That's true. And then you take that photo, if it was in the old days, it goes into an album for those younger guys. You know, It's a big book, you put little photos in there. And it goes into the garage and it it gathers dust. Until one day you clean the garage up and then you go, you open them up and you say, Oh, that was so wonderful. Isn't that right? But now we've got digital photos. And you don't clean that up. I mean, it's not as if you go through your digital photos anymore. But people are just into this now. You know, we want to take the best photo, the best one. I I sometimes say, put down, put down the camera and just take the moment. Be in the present. Be partaking into that moment. Because the more you partake in the moment, the more memories you are building. Can I say that again? The more you partake in that moment, the more memories you are building. It is so true. You know, we've got Facebook and we've got social media these days. It is so interesting how people are going outside of the present, watching other people's profiles of their past things that they've done. Let me explain. You know, I'm sitting there and so many people take photos of their food. Have you seen that? No, oh, I need to take a photo of this. It's is a beautiful. <laughs> Straight into Facebook. It sits on Facebook for three days. And here you are going around. You go, I want to see what that person has done. Oh, look at that food. So beautiful. It's their past. It's already happened. They've already had two or three of other meals. But you are still living in their past. Woo! I, I won't tell you where that food went, okay? It doesn't look like that anymore. Your breakfast, there you go. (laughs) But you see, so many people are doing this. You see, we learn from yesterday. We live for today and we hope for tomorrow. This is what it means when we live in the present. You see, when we learn from yesterday, this is our faith. Our faith is built and based on our experience. Not only that, but faith is things that you can't see. You you know, you can't see those things, but you still believe in that. We live with love in the present, and we hope for tomorrow. Hope is where we go. Hope is the promises of God. But so many people are still living right here. Oh, we had it so good yesterday, didn't we? We had it so good last year, didn't we? And the Bible talks about that. When they, when they were rebuilding the, the walls and everything, people got so procrastinated thinking about the goodness of yesterday. I'm telling you what, five years ago it was so wonderful. We had a wonderful time, but it's in the past. I need to be present I need to build new memories today. I need to be active in those memories today. Now I'm going to give you just two examples and then we're going to pray and and move on. First of all, we see Jesus and a blind man. I want to use this, what I've just explained to you, and to show you that Jesus was every single moment of the day present. He was counting His days. He was numbering His days. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and heard a multitude passing by. He asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nobody cried it like that. Cried it. This man knew something about Jesus. He knew that he was the son of David. This man is doing way better than some people in churches today. This man didn't have sight. He had to do extraordinary things to know about this Jesus. But there are people sitting today with Bibles. I mean, how many translations of Bibles do you have in your house? How many Bibles do you have in your house? How many books have you had? But you, a lot of people don't know him as Jesus, the son of David, like this man. He went through extraordinary things to find out about this Jesus. He was sitting there, he couldn't see anything. But he was in his moment. And then he heard this commotion going past. All of these feet, the chatter, the noise levels went up. The dust of of, of most probably where they walked came into his nostrils. He he realized something is happening. Then he shouted out, what's going on? And they say to this man, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. And then he realized, I know that man. I've, I've learned about him. He's the son of David. And he started shouting out. Didn't know where he was. Didn't know where Jesus was. But he was starting to shout out. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. Oh, be you quiet out there. But he cried out aloud more Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? I mean, just think for a moment, if Jesus is standing right in front of you today and he asks you this very same question, he looks you into your eyes and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What's your answer going to be? He asked this man, he says, what can I do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, everybody say immediately, now that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Immediately he received his sight. Let me just throw in something for you. What is a miracle? It is time. It is time. You see, a miracle always God, because he, time belongs to him, takes time out of the equation. They could have given him self, miracle self, and in a year's time he can see. But now Jesus immediately made him see. And he followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. So why am I using this uh, to show you? And and by the way, there are so many passages that I could have gone to. But I chose two for a specific reason. So let's just do a few observations. First of all, we see the multitude passing by. The multitude is moving along. Where Jesus is, that's where we want to be. We see that a lot of people, and you know what, brothers and sisters, we can easily be caught up in the multitudes. We can. Isn't it right? We get so caught up with other people's issues. They talk about it, and if there's a small crowd about it, we become part of that. And we are often caught up in that. And so many times when you're caught up in the multitude, you can lose yourself, and you are not in your present moment. Because you are following a stream. You know, God is going to ask you some time this year to go against the stream. He's going to ask that of you. God is going to ask you this year in 2024 to step outside of your comfort zone. But if you are just in the moment, if, if you're not in the moment and you're just going through the multitudes and you do like everybody's doing it, you may miss that opportunity. You see, people are just doing it. The multitude were passing by. And, and by going with the multitude, you become selfish. Because you are now adapting to the, to, the, to the methods and to the thinking of the multitude. You are influenced by the multitude. What did they say to them? You see, he wanted to see Jesus, but they said to him, be quiet. Why? Because I want to see Jesus. I want to be with him. They couldn't see the need of this man. No one wanted to pick him up and say, let's bring you to Jesus. They heard what he wanted. He said, Jesus of Nazareth. No, no, Jesus, son of David. They knew he wanted to be with Jesus, but where was the person in that crowd to be in the present moment to see that there was a need for somebody and take that person and bring him to Jesus? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we in this church are just signposts towards Jesus. That's all I'm doing. I don't want you to become a follower of me. But all I'm going to do is, you're going to come to me, you're going to say, give me advice. I can give you a lot of advice, okay? Don't take them always, but I can give you advice. But I will point you towards the counselor, Jesus Christ. I want to take you to Him. But this multitude moved past. And how many times do we find it? Because you're not in the present moment, you cannot see the needs of other people. But this man was in the moment. He knew he had to get to Jesus today because he may not be coming past this time tomorrow. And it's not as if he could just stand up and walk to Jesus. He was blind. And he had his moment. Maybe for you today is that moment. Maybe you are sitting here this morning and you are saying, I'm sitting like this man and I've had all this trouble all my life. I just can't work it out why my life is falling so apart like this man. You need to come into the moment and start numbering your days and come to Jesus Christ the Savior. And He's passing by this moment. Reach out to Him. This man was in the moment, he knew, I need to get to Jesus, and I need to get to Him today. And then we find Jesus. He was in the moment. Why? Because the Bible says He stopped. Now, I can imagine, if you get a crowd around you, a lot of people become so important, isn't it? Haven't you seen that? You know, you take ordinary people, and you know, I'm talking about pastors now. And the church grows and it grows, and, it, and all of a sudden, the pastor becomes this really important person. You need to send an invite, you know, a, a, an appointment to him into his calendar. Uh, let me just see. Um, yeah, maybe Thursday afternoon. Jesus was busy when he was walking there. He had people around him, they were throwing questions at him. He had, he had a place to go to, but when he heard this voice crying out, he was in the moment. He was present. He stopped. And guess what happened when he stopped? The whole crowd stopped. The whole crowd stopped. What's going to happen now? And he got this man brought to him. He says, what can I do for you? Jesus' question to you today is, what can I do for you? You just need to reach out to him. Can you see this? This is people in the present. Now let me move on to the second person. And we find it again in Jericho. This is why I chose these two. In Luke chapter 19, if you just turn over to the next chapter, (coughs) we read there about a tax collector. And then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. That's where he healed this blind man. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. There's two problems for the people in his day there. One is a tax collector. They didn't like the tax collectors. I mean, I hope nobody works for the tax collector in this church, but, <laughs> but you know, those are generally people you don't like these days. But back then, they hated these people. Why? Because they stole from the people. They collected more than they had to collect. And the signs are here that this man was very good at what he was doing. He was rich. So here is a tax collector and he's rich, the Bible says. No doubt you could see it in his clothing. And he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was. See the difference here. Here is this man sitting there on the road. He was blind. He did everything he could in his power to find out about Jesus, the son of David. Here is this man who's got everything to his exposure. He's got money. I mean, he can download all the Bible apps. He can buy all the Bible books. He can do all the Bible courses you want to do, but he don't do that. But then he heard about this Jesus, and now he was trying to see this Jesus, who Jesus was. You get those people in the church these days as well. You get them. They're sitting amongst us. Who's this Jesus? You know, I'm just coming along because I can, I can just sense there is something happening. I don't know what it is, but it's there. And I love you. If you are one of those people in the church, praise the Lord, you are welcome. Because you're going to meet Jesus. And look at this now. I find it so fascinating. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. You see, there's this crowd again. For he was also short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. He saw this small man with rich clothes in the tree. I mean, that would have been a sight, isn't it? It would have been a sight to see a man with his Gucci suit climbing into a tree. And here is this man standing, he's, he's a small little fella, looking down, and Jesus is looking up at him. But I find this a beautiful picture here. And he says to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today, I must stay at your home. It is so beautiful words there. So listen what this man do. He made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, They all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. You see, these people were not in the moment. They were not in the present time. They didn't see what's happening here. And I'm going to show you something which happened, which you may not have seen. This is the gospel playing out in front of your eyes. Jesus is in the moment. Zacchaeus, he's starting to get into the moment, and then bang, he's in the moment. Let's finish and then I'll explain. In verse 8 he says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor and I've taken anything from everyone, false accusation, I restore it for fault.' That's way more than the law, the law of his day would ask him to do. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost hallelujah hallelujah so let's look at the observations you see he wanted to see who jesus was it is so easy for people to sit in church and go on other people's testimonies and never personally meet jesus And then they leave the church, and then people come with difficult questions to me, and they say, can you lose your salvation because this person was in church for so long? And I want to say to you, they've never met Jesus. If you've met Jesus personally, and He's your personal Savior, you will never leave Him. You will not. You cannot. Because the Holy Spirit will bring you back to Him. You may be prodigal, but you'll come back. You see, there was this pastor once, and he said a young man called him up. I think it was Warren Wiersbe, uh, one of the people I I listen to sometimes. He said this man called him up as a young man. He says, Pastor, I just can't do it anymore. He says, what do you mean? He says, I can't be a Christian anymore. It's just too hard. You know, all my friends is doing all of these things, but I can't do that because I'm convicted. You see, the problem is, is he was standing one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and he became frustrated. And... Warren said something to him which really would shock a lot of people. He said, so that's fine, go. Just leave, just turn your back on Jesus, go. Just do it. And there was the silence on the phone. And it's an awkward silence. And it continued on for a while. And this young man said, but I can't do it. You can't. And, And you see, here we see this is that You know, people, just go on other people's testimonies and if that is you today and you see the freedom of Christ in other people but you haven't got it today, pray, ask Jesus that you will meet Him. You want to meet Him personally. You see, this man went into the tree. He climbed up there to see Jesus. Jesus see this rich man in the tree and He call him by His name. Have you noticed? He says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house. He knows your name. He knows your name, and this morning He's calling you by your name. You see, the world despised Him. He was a tax collector. He was rich. But Jesus looked looked through all of those things. I I no doubt there would be some people in the church and go, like they said, He's a sinner. What are they doing with that sinner there? Look all of those money that He's stolen and all of these things. You're not in the moment if you look at that. You need to look at what Jesus can do. Jesus said to him, Come down. Come down. And this is where I see the beautiful gospel. He hasted. He made a decision. He made a decision. And then he came down. It is a sign of humbling yourself. If you are sitting on your high horse there, you will not see Jesus. You need to come down. And if you're not going to come down, he's going to bring you to your knees. And then the other thing is you need to receive Jesus. He received Jesus. He was in the moment, he understood at that moment what happened, and then he repented and he was restored. His heart changed and his habits will follow soon after. Can you see here that Jesus was in the present? And here Moses' words is coming to you and me, and he says that we need to teach us to count our days. There are three benefits of being in the moment with God. Three benefits. Number one, if you're in the moment with God, you will have a closer relationship with God you will have. Psalm 46 verse 10, He says, Be still and know that I am God. Put all of this noise around you away. Get to a place where you sit down with Him and say, Lord, I want to sit with you, your Bible, you open it up and you will say, Lord, I want to pray, I want to talk to you and speak to me. Talk to you and speak to me. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, you are present with Him. Don't sit there with your Bible open and go, Oh, I wonder how I'm going to get through this. And then you read a few verses and then you think about that and you think, no, no, that's not in the moment. Take time. Sit down there with Him and say, Lord, I want to be present. Speak to me through Your Word. And He will. And you know what's going to happen? Your relationship will grow closer to Him. Secondly, you grow more meaningful connections with other people. Isn't that right? How many of you over the last two years have grown closer to people in this church? How many? How many? Is it only me? And why did that happen? Because you're in the moment. You're in this place. Romans chapter 12 verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Is that us? Is he talking about us? We rejoice together. We weep together. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. I want to associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Not only will you be closer to God, not only will you grow meaningful connections, but you will also identify and act on divine opportunities. Brothers and sisters, in 2024, you're going to come across a lot of divine opportunities that God is going to put your way. But if you are not present in the moment, you may miss them. Hear this word today. You need to be in the present, in the time with God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. What does that word circumspectly mean? It means correctly. Everything you do, do it correctly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming. Everybody say redeeming. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. In fact, the word there for redeeming, it means means that you buy something. You buy something. It's like buying something over a counter. That's what that word means there. So how am I going to buy time? By being in the moment. That's how you buy time. You know, I see so many times people wasting this time. It just goes, oh goodness, I didn't realize it's already three hours gone. What have you done with those times? You can buy that time. Let me just quickly give you one or two scriptures, passages, and then we finished. How can we as a church live in the present? How can we live in the present? We need to think about this for 2024, for Maranatha. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You see, discouragement amongst people made them move away from the truth. That's what discouragement do. Watch out this year. If you become discouraged, you're going to move away from the Bible. But here he says, hold fast the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? What is that confession? In the first place, it's Jesus Christ. He's the confession of our hope. And then he says on there, he says, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another. How are you going to stay in the present in this church? By considering one another. Look around you. There are people who are hurting in this place. There are people who are going through difficult situations. I know because I'm the pastor, but I shouldn't be the only one knowing. You should know. But I'm not going to gossip about these people. I'm not going to tell you about them. But if you keep your eyes and your ears open and you see a brother or sister struggling, you can reach out. Consider one another You see, it is so easy when you get discouraged that you avoid fellowship when you needed it the most. This is the first thing that happened. People become discouraged and they move away. They they pull away from people. Oh, they didn't greet me. They didn't come over and talk to me. Let me just fix that quickly for you. If people don't come over and talk to you, go over and talk to them. That's how you fix that. And this is so beautiful, in order to stir up the love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Man, I know that pastors love this verse. Pastors of churches love this verse, and they come and they Bible bash you with this verse. Every Sunday you need to be in church, because it says it right here, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. I'm not one of those pastors. You've got your own choice whether you want to be here or not. I'm not going to call you up and say, hey, where were you? I will call you up because I'm concerned about you. Hey, are you sick? Is there something going on? Did you have a flat wheel maybe or so on? But I'm not going to check up on you. That's not a pastor's work. Oh, you know, we've got this register and one day when I'm going to stand before Jesus, I'm going to give him the register for Maranatha. Yes, Lord, you see this person here, Yeah, that Sunday they weren't yet. I wonder where they were. Okay, Pastor, where were they? Well, I don't know. Well, you were supposed to look at... No, that's not... I'm not here to babysit you. I'm not here to wheelbarrow you into heaven. You've got to work out your own salvation, the Bible says. Yes, and this is it. But you see, there's a blessing when it comes to the assembling of everybody together. This is where we share our love. This is where we encourage each other. Remember what I said last year, and it's the same for this year. If people walk into this church, they need to see the grace of God. Who carries the grace of God? You do. You carry the grace of God. Not me. They're not coming, look if there's any person who came here for my preaching, correct your heart, okay? Because I'm going to disappoint you at some stage in your life. And if, if you are just coming for me to hear me preach, don't do that. Come here to encourage the body and God will speak to you and you will be much more fuller through that. It is so beautiful place to come. And, and look, I said it at the end of last year. It is such a blessing, brothers and sisters. Sit here like we now. There's a lot of work that goes into having this right now here. There's sitting out of these things. There's packing it away. There's vacuuming. There's food that's going on next door. All of it is for the assembly to bless one another. Yes? But be in the present. Now, I'm actually finished preaching on that passage, but... There's a beautiful verse which I said, Lord, I need to bring it into the sermon because I want to read this for you, okay? It's a beautiful verse for 2024, okay? And it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9. And if you remember this, go and read it and meditate this afternoon about it, okay? And he says, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? <coughs> what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? And what did Moses say? Moses said, the work we do, the people come and they boast about their labors and their sorrows. You remember that? And here the the writer comes and he says, what profit? What comes out of it? You know, we all work for something. If we we give our time, they pay us for our time. And he says, what profit is there for the worker from that which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied this says that you've got a work that you need to do and you will get some profit for that but then there's also god-given tasks can you see that i want to concentrate this year in this church on the god-given tasks are you with me i want you to redeem your time this year on the god-given tasks i want you to count your days this year on the god-given tasks are you in for that And this is what it says there. I've seen the God-given tasks. And then he goes on to say, He has made everything beautiful in its time. You see, God is in His own time, not in your time. But here is the bottom line. If God is in it, He's going to make it beautiful. God has never made something which is not beautiful. Everything that He created, He looks at it and He saw that it was good. Nothing was not good. Everything that He created. The fact that you are sitting here today is good. He's made you in His time. You see, some people are still rough diamonds. Who knows that one? He's he's a rough diamond. She's a rough diamond. You know, I love rough diamonds. I want them to come to this church because God is going to polish them in His time. Amen? And He's going to make them beautiful. So what you see now as a rough diamond, God sees as a beautiful pearl or a star. So don't look at people this year. Don't look down at people. People is going to irritate you. Th- that is happening. People is going to say something that's going to upset you. Maybe in church, where you don't expect it. Something is going to happen and, and you're going to go, Oh, that I just want to say to you that God is still working. Amen? In His time, He's making everything beautiful. And then He says also He has put in eternity in their hearts. Praise the Lord for that. Can everybody shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Nobody can. We will hear it one day and understand when we die. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do in their lives. Final, verse 13 and 14. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Why? Because it is a gift of God. Let me just say, you might be sitting here and some people are doing well. God blessed them with a brain to be good in business. God put them in a position where they're doing well. Don't walk around and say, oh, you know, people's going to think, enjoy whatever you have as the blessing from God. Enjoy it. I, I find it so fascinating that you know people, uh, the Lord, uh, and this is not a prosperity church. There's people who are sitting here for so long; they will tell you, "I'm not preaching prosperity," and that's from the pit of hell. It shouldn't be preached from a pulpit. But there are people. Abraham, God blessed him so much, didn't He? God blessed him. Solomon, uh, uh, King uh, Solomon. I mean, you can go through. If God has blessed you, enjoy it, but see it as a gift of God. And then, I preached the sermon last year, bless others, bless others. And then, verse 14, And now, that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. I want to say this to you. This year, God will give you something, and He won't give you something. You will pray for something. He's not going to give it to you. And some things He will. But if He gives it to you, nobody can take it away. Okay? He says it right there. Nothing will be added to it and nothing taken from it. So what am I saying? Hand your life over to Jesus and trust in Him alone. Yes? Do your things. Don't procrastinate. You get some of those people, they just go and sit on the couch and say, hey, Jesus is going to look after me. He's going to look after me, and well, you know soon the tummy start to grumble and go. I need to get some food. Ah, there's McDonald's. No, no, do that. Praise the Lord. That which is already been is that which has already been, and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. We will all give an account, each one of us, of what is past. So if somebody grabs my beautiful wife, we will sing one song. I want us to do this one more time. The whole church, go with me one more time. Everybody, I want everybody to hear your voice. I am here. I can hear. I am listening. I can see. I am present. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your message today. And Father, this message is also for me, Father. I need to listen to it as much as I've preached it. And I pray, Lord, I want to say these words, Father. I want to be present, Lord, so that I can be open, Lord, for your divine appointments. Father, for the things that you want to teach us this year. Father, we as a church want to be present so that if you see the people, the hearted to come into this place, Lord, that we don't just give them love because of the word of love, but we give them love because of the act of love. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Father, we pray over this year, Lord. Uh, Father, I want to pray for your blessing, your heavenly blessings, as Paul says in Ephesians, over this place. Father, for every family represented here today. Father, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we have got hope and trust in you. And that is all that matters. So we worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.